Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome back Andrew Jordan to the podcast. Welcome back, Andrew. Thank you, James. So, Andrew, those that are not familiar with you, you are the Managing Director and CEO of Extivity. Interestingly enough, we have a a connection in the past. We both happen to work for a large uh, beverage alcohol company in a past life. Um, Although super brief, what can you tell us about yourself, Extivity, your background in history, all those great things? Um, Thanks, James. Yeah, so my background has been very much in supply chain for the past uh, 25 years, uh, most recently in asset-intensive industries, the last 15 years, focusing very much on spare parts optimization, uh, making sure that our clients around the world have the right parts in the right place at the right time to support ongoing operations. Um, I think what's been you know, particularly interesting through that is the challenges are very common regardless of industry. Um, we're all trying to maintain operating assets. We all consume spare parts and we all have challenges with both parts of that equation. Um, in terms of activity, uh, we work um, with our clients, as again, around the world. Uh, we leverage our proprietary software platform um, to help them work through the subtleties and nuances around making sure that there's min maxes and lead times are all um, representative of the supply demand conditions they need to, to maintain uptime. All right. Excellent. So your big focus at Activity is making sure people have the right parts at the right time to ensure asset uptime, really. Absolutely right. All right. Perfect. Now, many organizations just assume, I guess, that more parts in stock means reduced downtime and reduced risk. Is that really the case? In certain circumstances, James, it, it is the case. So, you know, certainly when we're going through and doing initial assessments of uh, clients' inventory profiles, uh, the first thing we focus on is those understock uh, areas, right? Because, again, the mandate being to ensure uptime. So we will find situations where the client is, is categorically not carrying enough of a particular item. Now, you know, how do we come to that conclusion? Uh, we're looking at the usage profile. Um, very often, you know, the, the stocking recommendation doesn't necessarily take into consideration uh, increased use of a particular part as an asset might age, as an example. Um, we look at asset criticality, you know, where it sits in their, in their hierarchy um, and whether you're provisioning appropriately against that from a service level perspective. Uh, lead times, any changes in that? Because, you know, as we all know, those have been very quite variable over the course of the last 18 months. And, you know, you have to reflect that in your, in your stocking profiles. Um, and then variability in the usage, both in terms of the magnitude of use, so the quantity of issues and the frequency. So, you know, in, in circumstances where those are misaligned with your stocking recommendation, and indeed with the operational requirements, you have to increase uh, your stock accordingly. However, I would say that that's the exception rather than the norm. More often than not, what we find is there's a significant overstock on items as opposed to being systemically understocked. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I find working with some of the clients. You see 
they're overstocked in parts they really don't need to be overstocked in. And they're understocked on those long lead time, critical spares, those types of things where, you know, they'll really shut down a plant. There's like a complete mismatch is what I usually see going into sites. No, you're right. It's all about getting that mix right. You know, there, there's no one answer. It's not you universally have to drive down your inventories or you universally have to increase them. Uh, and that's where we really start to, you know, use technology. And the devil's in the detail. You have to look at it at an item level. Right. Um, gross rules will get you some of the way, but they're not going to get you to your operational objectives. All right. So is that so does that why, you know, more inventory doesn't necessarily mean less risk because we're probably just stocking the wrong parts or things like that then? Well, that's that's part of it. Um, but the other part of it is in order for parts and components to be valuable, they have to be ready to operate or fit for use. Right. And the more we have in stock, the longer we're stocking it, um, the more opportunity there is for those parts to degrade. Um, and so, you know, having it doesn't necessarily mean that it's fit for purpose or ready to operate. Uh, and therefore, you are potentially introduced. Well, you are introducing more risk um, that when it comes time to use that, that part is not available for service. Um, so there's only one thing you know, that we find that's worse than not having the part. And that's thinking you do. Uh, and then coming to the point of issue and finding out it's not fit for purpose. So you have uh, an asset down, you've got a critical uh, maintenance requirement, uh, you go to issue the part and you find out that it's not fit for purpose. Um, now we're quite likely talking about plane trains and automobiles and hot shots and all the fun that we've all lived, right? Um, so that can be avoided in many instances by actually caring less of something, getting the turns up, um, and ensuring that you're maintaining it for service. All right. So by me, by you saying fit for service, I mean, it's in operating condition. It's ready to go with that type of stuff, because I do agree, you know, we can put 500 belts in there. How many are going to be good after five years? Oh, and you're absolutely right. And belts is a great example, right? Uh, we've all been around storerooms or cribs where they're hanging on pegs for year after year, uh, exposed potentially to, you know, a heated environment. Uh, those cracks, that degradation. Um, there's two things like, are you going to be able to use it at the time of use? But then once you put it into service, um, how long is it going to last? So are you potentially leaning into extra maintenance and replacing something you've just replaced because it wasn't um, up to operating parameters to start with? So that's the snowball that ensues from overstocks. Now, this is more of a a recent development, if you will, like you were saying over the last 18 months, lead times have been varying dramatically. We're seeing those types of issues. Um, how do organizations kind of strike that balance then between unstable supply chains and having the right spares to support their assets? Well, there's a, there's a couple of different parts. And so we would generally look at it uh, along the asset management life cycle. So when you're looking at it at uh, start and when you're commissioning an asset, just making sure that, you know, the provisioning you do is appropriate for the asset base and supporting the uh, maintenance plans you have. But um, the other part is making sure you're not leaning too far into that, right? Because generally speaking, um, what we'll see is, is clients will order too much of things or they'll go too deep in that spare part provisioning, which will, by definition, contribute to obsolescence. Um, so we, we all drive cars, but um, I know I don't have a spare set of brake pads in my garage nor steering wheel. 
right? Um, I, I know I don't need that. Um, so really taking a look at it and starting to work through what I need, what the maintenance plan to support that is, and when I'm likely to need those parts. Um, I, if it's based on a planning interval that's out years, I don't need them today. I can buy them in two years' time, right? Which also has a very positive impact in terms of my, my warranty, my warranty management process was a whole nother topic. But I would rather have the most possible warranty on these parts when it's in service and not be burning warranty when it's sitting in my storeroom. All right. Excellent. Now, that helps us strike that balance. But, you know, you said not burning warranty in the storeroom. We talked previously about belts. You know, how, what is the impact on the quality of the storage conditions for these parts? Is it something that we really got to worry about? Can we just throw bearings on some shelves and walk away? Or do we really got to put some thought into this? I think we all intuitively know the answer to that is no, right? But um, when we go around storerooms, um, all of us, um, you invariably see situations where, you know, the storage condition doesn't match um, the requirements for the parts. Uh, I think you work back to what you're trying to achieve. So, you know, let's pick on belts and hoses again. Uh, We want them to be pliable. You know, we don't want there to be flat spots in our belts. Um, So, we need to match not only, you know, our put away and our storage in terms of the physical storage, but also the conditions under which we store these things to that requirement. So what that means is, you know, you're not going to hang your belt on a peg that's right in front of a heater, right? That's going to have a degrading impact. Uh, your bearings, you're not going to store them in an environment where they're exposed to dust uh, and particulate. Um, you're looking at gaskets and major parts if we're talking about, you know, haul trucks in a mining environment. If you're storing them in a laydown yard, I'll cover them. Don't expose them to UV that's going to degrade that. So the, the two things, we, you know, we want these to be fit for purpose when we use them, but also to that earlier point, we, we want to make sure that we're not actually, through our storage conditions, um, generating early failures and extra maintenance, right? There's enough maintenance work to be done without creating extra requirements, based on um, a lack of uh, management from the warehouse. All right. So we have to properly store these. We don't want to stock too much so we don't burn our warranty while it's in the storm. How else can we reduce the risk of failures within the storeroom itself? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And the other thing that comes up regularly and, you know, universally um, we find underserved is your material preservation programs, right? So, um, for a number of major items, your insurance spares, your capital spares, there, there is maintenance required. You're talking about your gearboxes, your motors. You have to turn the, turn the shafts. You have to make sure that the fluid levels are maintained. Uh, you need to make sure that they're not exposed to, you know, environmental factors like heat and rain that are going to degrade them. So that component is really important as well. And I find very often that that's underserved. Um, the maintenance of, of parts and storage seems to, at times, fit between the two camps of the warehouse and the maintenance team. And there's finger pointing in terms of really who should be doing this, um, you know, and how we manage that work. Uh, in the best environment, it's generating um, uh, work orders that are dropping on the maintenance techs. They're going into the storeroom and they're maintaining that. And that's all logged and captured. Uh, unfortunately, I would say that, you know, from what we see, that's the exception rather than the norm. Um, but that plays a significant role in ensuring these parts are ready to operate, ready to operate when you need them. Yeah. And I think, you know, the one other thing I see a lot of organizations not tackling in that aspect as well is just basic stocking 
good practices, first in, first out rotation of parts, those types of things they miss for some reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's the little things that make a big difference sometimes, right? That you, we take for granted that you're going to do FIFO. Um, but it's certainly not the case. Uh, it also kind of depends on how you're managing the storeroom. Like, you know, leading practice would be you have a, a lock storeroom. The people that are managing it are the warehouse attendants and, and no one else. Um, how often do we see that? How often do we see that, you know, maintenance people are actually coming into the storeroom and doing the picks themselves? It, it does happen. And in those instances, then you have an opportunity for process deviation and you can get out of phase uh, in terms of that issuing. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook, A Smarter Way of Preventative Maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.iridicio.com. All right, excellent. Now, one other thing I see going on in a lot of organizations is they know the parts that are in their assets are getting old. Um, and not necessarily the component itself, but that maybe that product line or that model. We'll use a VFD as an example. Yep. As a result, what they start doing then is they start trying to stock more of these because they know very shortly they won't be able to get them from the manufacturer or the OEM anymore. How do they balance that risk of not having the parts with still ensuring that we're going to be fit for use and good to use when we actually need them. No, absolutely. Well, so there's another overlap with that material preservation side of things and making sure that they're fit for purpose. But sometimes you have to do that, right? Um, you know, you've got an operating asset that's uh, critical, perhaps, right? It's going into late stages. You know that they're, through management of change, those parts aren't going to be available. You need to order up. Um, and you need to manage that, but you need to be aware of it, right? So sometimes you stock more for the right reasons, and, and that's fine. Um, but you can also mitigate that at times through condition monitoring technology, right? And try to see what you can do to um, minimize the consumption of that part. So if you can go from time-based to being, you know, more condition failure mode or getting into some of the more predictive technology, you can use that change in maintenance strategy to mitigate your your proliferation of inventory as well. So this is where it all comes together and we need to think about parts in the context of what you're trying to achieve and changes on the maintenance side of it in terms of your practices have a direct impact on what you can do and the levers you can pull on the inventory. All right, excellent. So, you know, we can extend that inventory, reduce the usage a little bit by the things we've been talking about. Good condition maintenance practices, looking at storeroom preservations, those types of activities to really make sure that those parts we overstock for a good reason are ready to go when we actually need them. So with all this stuff that's going on, how should organizations decide what they're going to stock and what the ideal stock levels are with all of these various factors, like you said, lead time, variable demand, um, variable usage, um, obsolescence, risk of failure in the storm. How do they balance all these things to figure out, do we stock or what the levels are? Yeah, it's, it's by no means straightforward, right? And uh, everybody's different because everybody's got a different underlying um, material base, right? So, you know, there's some high level things we'd look at. We'd look at... Um, uh, the part and the, um, the age of the equipment that's supporting. Um, we start to look at the material composition, 
right? And tie that back. So, you know, again, to pick on our belts and hoses, what conditions do you want to store those under to make sure they're ready to operate? Um, we take into consideration um, asset criticality, right? And, and how that's going to support um, the ongoing stocking strategy. But the other thing that, you know, a lot of times people will get caught up on is, you know, just because you have an item in the catalog and you know that you use it against planned maintenance, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to stock it. So if, if you're in um, um, a major conurbation uh, or your site is close to a pretty dense vendor base, there may be opportunities for you to do stock and release programs. So the best thing is not to have to store it at all. So if you look at your maintenance interval and you look at the, the lead time on these parts from perhaps an uh, industrial distributor, you may not need to. Your maintenance interval might be two weeks and your lead time might be two days. So this is where we start to get back to you know, the maintenance planning and scheduling side of things. If you can push that out um, and increase that planning window, you have the ability in many instances to not stock it at all. And that's your ideal situation. Now that preservation, now that, um, that stocking is not on you. You've pushed that back up the supply chain to a vendor base. And in many instances, they're only too happy to support that. All right. Excellent. So there's lots of different things we got to consider. And then we also want to look at leveraging our vendors to support those decisions. You know, whether we don't stock and we can get it within a couple hours, we got to consider all those different things. Absolutely. Unfortunately, there's no simple answer. Yeah, there never is. Now, where would people, where would you recommend people start in looking at fixing their storeroom, um, right-sizing their inventory? I don't want to say reducing, right-sizing their inventory and reducing failures within their storeroom itself. Yeah, that's a, that's a common question. I think, you know, we have inherently a, a bias to want to act. So you want to find that one thing that's going to change the world. And unfortunately, the answer is, you know, as you hit on, there isn't. So um, my first step or recommendation would be to take a step back, right, um, and do root cause analysis. So um, we generally look at inventory as a symptom, right? Um, it's an outcome, your inventory performance. It's not driven by decisions specifically within inventory. So grab uh, a data set, take a step back, see how your maintenance planning and scheduling, your procurement, your master data governance, you know, your replenishment planning logic, uh, your logistics arrangements, how those are all affecting your inventory profile because they all have a role to play. So that can be supported increasingly through data analysis and analytics. Um, so that would be the first step. The next is to look at your policies and procedures and how they align to the objectives you're trying to achieve. Um, with that done, a picture starts to emerge in terms of where your priorities are. And Pareto applies here in the same way as it does, you know, everywhere else in our lives. There's going to be two or three big things that are going to really help you move the needle. And by taking a step back, you're able to put those in context, sequence an improvement plan and start to get after things that can generate benefit in, you know, as short as a few weeks, but in a broader context of how things fit together and how you're going to improve that storeroom over the course of years. So that would be, that would be my first recommendation. Um, generally speaking, quick wins can be derived from looking at modifying your mins, maxes, and lead times on your moving items and driving that through consumption, which is something that's just going to happen naturally. That's almost always part of a plan, but it's not the only place to focus. 
Yeah, I really like how you said those inventory levels are really the outcome of other processes and decisions. If we have a poor PM program, we don't plan and schedule work, we're going to have to stock more inventory. And if we don't care to monitor the supply chain and update lead times, guess what? We're likely going to stock more parts again because we don't know what the true lead time actually is. So we compensate by stocking more. I have never heard a more truer statement in the storeroom than that one there, Andrew. Now, great conversation on, you know, how do we manage parts in the storeroom? How do we make decisions around spare parts? All those different things. Where can people find out more about you and Xtivity to get some more insight to these things, reach out for help, all those great things? For sure. And we would welcome the opportunity to have those conversations. Um, so the easiest place to find us is on our website. So that's Xtivity.com. Um, you can reach out, out to us through LinkedIn, uh, Xtivity Inc. Um, or simply drop us an email at optimize at Xtivity.com. Um, that's a starting position from there. We'll drive into conversations and, and figure out, you know, dimensionalizing what a problem looks like and then potentially how we can help. All right. Excellent. I'll make sure to put links to all those in your show, in the show notes. Now, one question I always like asking all the guests is what are your resources or go-to resources for spares management, inventory management, those types of things? Yeah, it's a great question, James. I mean, I think, you know, as everyone knows, there's a proliferation of articles, there's books and everything out there. But one of the things that I like the most for um, dynamic input that changes with conditions is looking at the professional associations uh, and, and what they're getting out there. So, you know, my go to is things like uh, PMAC and SMRP. Um, I really like the linkages that are starting to come out as we start to look at our reliability more holistically. I'm starting to hear a lot more about parts and how that fits into, you know, that whole ecosystem. And I think that's only going to continue. And the more people that are parts of those forums uh, contributing and, and advancing that thinking, um, the better it's going to be for all of us. So um, I've seen that progression and I like to see that continue. So I guess having the opportunity, I would encourage people to engage through those forums and further our understanding in that route. All right. Excellent. Well, Andrew, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us about spare parts today. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. No, it's great, James. Thanks for the opportunity. Take care. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.